Thanks for joining us today at the Vine Church. We're one church with two locations and reaching around the world with the help of our online service. We exist to connect the world to Jesus Christ. If you'd like to partner with us in doing that, you can share this service with others and give by clicking the link below. For now, prepare your heart for some incredible worship and an inspiring message. Darkness running hot, you bring the broken back to life. Only you can, only you can. You set me free from every chain, you fill my heart with songs of praise. Only you can, only you can. Jesus, you're the only reason that I'm even breathing. I am wide awake. My hope is only for your glory.
searching for We want you and nothing more So let your glory fill this place We're alive in your presence Sing it your heart It's your heart we're searching for We want you and nothing more So let your glory fill this place And we're alive we're alive in your presence. Oh, sing, we surrender. And we surrender all to you. Do what you want to. Do what you want to. God, we love to see you move. Do what you want to. Do what you want to. Standing in your life, and our hearts are open wide. Sing, let us see, let us see more than before. Lord, come have your way here. Sing, we surrender. We surrender all to you. Do what you want to, do what you want to. you want to do what you want to
Well, how are you, church? You good? Hey, it's uh, good to be with you guys this morning for a couple of reasons. Uh, but before we get to those reasons, I just want to say a, a special welcome to any of our first-time guests. If I haven't had a chance to meet you, I'm David Walters. I have the privilege of being one of the pastors here at the Vine Church, and it is a privilege to be with you in uh, this series today. It's been a good weekend so far, and uh, we're praying that the that uh, that God shines a little bit more grace upon Atlanta as the uh, Falcons take on the Aints today. And uh, so we'll get you home in plenty of time to get ready for that game. Uh, uh, it's been a good weekend from a sports standpoint. Um, uh, the Braves, uh, I think it's maybe the first time uh, in the history of the Vine that we could say that the Braves have uh, clinched the uh, Eastern Division. Um, so how many of you are Braves fans out there? Yeah? Okay. And, um, and at the same time, UGA's 4-0. I mean, those two, two things have uh, worked together. Yeah, so there we go. And uh, that's about all we can say for Atlanta. Um, as far as sports this weekend. Anyway, um, it's great to be with you guys. Um, and uh, this morning's already been an awesome morning. Um, we had someone at our 915 service here, and then of course at our 10 o'clock service who um, trusted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of their life for the first time. And so we want to celebrate that. And um, that just lets you in on a little bit of the, the kind of the potential of this morning as we carry on a conversation that we started a couple weeks ago in this Hero Maker series. If you're here for the first time, we've got our services online. You can go back and check those out a little bit later. It's not going to help you out for today. And so just to kind of remind uh, all of us of, of what we're aiming for in this series is that whether it's your personal independent life that's kind of, um, and I wouldn't say separate from your spiritual life and our spiritual journey together or our spiritual journey together, God has a preferred future for us. There's no doubt that there is a plan and a purpose for our lives. We call that a preferred future. And what we're discovering through this series is that in order to experience that preferred future, we really need to step out of a hero role and step into a hero maker role. And our culture is fascinated with heroes. We all want to be the hero of the story. And the reality is that when it comes to God's preferred future for our lives individually and collectively, God's calling us us to be hero makers, where we point people to the ultimate hero, and that's God, and where we ultimately uh, make heroes of other people. And we're discovering kind of how that takes place through five characteristics. Um, each week, we're taking a look at one of those characteristics. We talked about the first week, how hero makers had a multiplication mindset. We thought and we think bigger than uh, we can think for ourselves. And so we challenge everybody just to, to offer a prayer to God. God, is what is your dream for our life? And if we could come up with that and we could write it down, um, and, and on our own and in our own power, then it was probably too small. And so we, we wanted God to expand that. And we've been hearing stories, and we'd love to hear your stories about that dream that you wrote down on that dream napkin. Last week, we talked about how hero makers were permission givers. They saw the potential in other people. They um, shared in responsibilities, and then they sent people with authority. And we've been hearing um, encouraging words about how those words of encouragement, those notes of encouragement through the ICNU notes have been uh, powerful this week. Today, we're going to talk about a third characteristic of hero makers and that hero makers are um, people who multiply themselves through others. Hero makers are people who multiply themselves through others. Um, it's well known and documented if you've been around me for any amount of time personally or like pastorally, professionally, that um, I love sports. I love sports. And growing up, basketball was my favorite sport. Um, and last week, we kind of introed the message with a little basketball 
uh, illustration. Um, I don't know what Pastor Andrew said at this campus last week. Um, I know what I said over at the Flowery Branch campus last week, and that was that growing up in the 80s in Atlanta, you only really had one sport that you can cheer for, and that was basketball because we had the human highlight film, uh, Dominique Wilkins. Um, all the other uh, teams, sports teams, were just bad. And so um, it's hard to be a fan of any of the other sports. Loved basketball, uh, played basketball, started playing in fifth grade. Believe it or not, I was the center on my team. I was the tall dude. Um, it's just kind of hard to imagine. Yeah, it's, it's uh, amazing to see um, how puberty is the great equalizer when sports come around. And I um, and, uh, love basketball throughout middle school. Got the opportunity to play on my eighth grade basketball team, Lawrenceville Middle School. Any other Crusaders out there? Where, where was that? Hey, bring it. All right, Crusaders in the back. Yeah, so um, made the eighth grade basketball team. I had an English teacher who was new to Lawrenceville Middle School. His name was Mr. Zoll. And Mr. Zoll actually coached he was the assistant varsity coach of basketball at Burkmore High School. Do we have any Patriots? That are out there? Yeah, I didn't think so. Oh, okay, we do. All right, sorry. Um, anyway, so, yeah, we got another one over here. Here we go. So, um, so um, he, he was teaching at our school for the first time, so he thought it was cool that one of his students was on the eighth grade basketball team, and so he and I, we hit it off. Um, one of his class rules was you had to watch Andy Griffin every day. I mean, how are you not going to hit it off with a, a teacher like that? And... Um, and so he, we had this affinity with basketball. And then when it came around to the NCAA tournament, he pulled me aside and he said, I want you to pick two friends. And I said, okay, what are we going to do? He said, we're going to gamble. And I was like, man, this teacher is the coolest teacher ever. Like, I'm pretty sure he'd lose his job today for it. Um, but each one of us had to bring $1. We had to put $1 into the pot. So there's a total of $4 in that pot. And then out of this brown paper bag, I can still remember it, we had to randomly select one of the final four teams in the NCAA tournament that year. And I pulled out this team that prior to that, I kind of was familiar with, um, but didn't really like. Um, their name was Duke. And, um, and all of a sudden, Duke became my favorite team. And Duke won. And I was an eighth grader. And y'all, $4, that's a lot of money to an eighth grader. So like, I love that. My kids are like, $4? I'm like, I'll teach you for it. Anyway, so like, you know, and, and so uh, Duke became my favorite team. That was the first of their back-to-back -back championships. And, um, and uh, it, I became a Duke fan since then. And, and um, I, I wanted to play. I went to high school, played basketball in high school, wanted to play for Duke University um, when I got to, to college. The only problem with that is stop growing in ninth grade. Anyway, um, you know, and so like it's, it's kind of hard to be a five foot nine and three quarters inch. You got to get the three quarters inch in there, you know. Um, guard for uh, Duke University, started loving their players, you know, and I can still remember where I was. I won't tell you where I was or what I was doing, but in ninth grade, when Christian Leitner hit the buzzer beater against Kentucky to send them on in the tournament, I, I can remember the alley-oop that Grant Hill caught. It seemed like he reached out of the arena to grab it, to dunk it. I can remember all the point guards who were these short white guys. Maybe I would have had a chance on the Duke team. They would slap the floor when it came time to buckle down on defense. I mean, I could just tell you countless stories of all their players and these heroic moments that all these players had. And um, one thing that I've learned about Duke basketball is that just as, as the heroes leave, another group of heroes come in. There's this kid, y'all, I'm telling y'all, his name is Zion Williamson. I hope the Hawks stink it up this year so they can draft him next year. He is going to be phenomenal. Heroes come and, gone, come and go. But one of my appreciations for Duke basketball has been that there's been one hero who's stayed. And his name is Coach K. Uh, Coach K is one of my heroes. And the reason that, there he is, thumbs up, everybody. And uh, Coach K is one of my heroes because he's a hero maker. 
He's a hero maker. Um, he makes these players into heroes. Uh, just a few stats for you. In addition to being an all-time all winningest um, basketball coach in men's basketball, he has won five national championships, 14 ACC championships. Um, he's made heroes out of players to the tune of 71 NBA players, 36 All-Americans, um, he's coached 11 national players of the year. He was an assistant coach with the Dream Teamers. Y'all remember the original Dream Team of um, Michael Jordan, uh, Larry Bird, Magic Johnson. He was an assistant coach on that. And then over the past couple of years in the Olympics, he's been the head coach of that. Um, but one of the things that I think is fascinating to me as his heroes that he's made have come and gone from a playing standpoint is that he even goes beyond that to his coaches. And one of the things that separates him, I believe, from all other coaches is that he's got a deep bench, not of players, but of former players who have come back to coach with him. And we've got a picture here, and I love this picture because sitting next to him are, are three former players, one of which who has gone off to be the head coach at another team and had a successful run, but has come back, and everybody thinks he's going to be the heir uh, to uh, coaching at Duke. Uh, but then he's bracketed on the end with former players. He's a hero maker because he has multiplied himself through others. He multiplied himself through others. And hero makers, whether we're talking about sports, whether we're talking about secular business, or we're talking about spiritual life, and maybe the combination of all of that, they're hero makers. Instead of wanting to be the hero, they want to make heroes of others and ultimately point everyone to the ultimate hero, and that's God. Now, um, I know that not everybody in this room is a sports person, so I'll just borrow a, um, uh, another, another example um, from kind of secular business, and that was Steve Jobs. Uh, of course, Steve Jobs is, is no longer with us, but when he was with us, he had such a passion for developing heroes of others and, and kind of multiplying himself through others that he started this thing called Apple University. And Apple University had the ability to identify young entrepreneurs and then to equip them with what they needed to go out into the world and carry on this entrepreneurialism that is needed to move the world forward into progress. Um, so you see all of these examples that are around us, and you can name other coaches, you can name other business leaders, um, but ultimately we've got the greatest example of a hero maker, and that's Jesus. As we know that he's the greatest hero that's ever walked the face of the earth, and he's the greatest hero maker that has ever walked the face of the earth. And he multiplied himself through Others. And what we're going to discover today is that there are three qualities of multiplying yourself through others that Jesus had that we need to take on if we want to be multiple, uh, if we want to be hero makers in individual life and then in corporate life, whether that's outside of faith or in the context of faith. And so um, we'll take a look at those qualities. Um, we'll take a look at those qualities together this morning. The first quality of a hero maker that multiplies themselves through others is that a hero maker shares what they know. If you're taking notes, you might want to write that down. Hero makers share what they know. Um, Jesus um, shared what he knew. I mean, all, all the time throughout his ministry, we see that he's constantly teaching people. He's teaching people in, in crowds of, of thousands and crowds of hundreds, and then and even in smaller crowds of just a few dozen. And then his, his core group of about 12 men and a few women, um, he was constantly sharing what he knows. Um, and, and you don't have the pressure of sharing what you know like Jesus 
shared because Jesus knew everything. I mean, he cheated a little bit. Uh, we believe that God, uh, that Jesus was God in the flesh. Um, so being God in the flesh, he's going to know a little bit. And um, that might sound crazy to you. Um, you're not responsible for knowing everything, but you are responsible for sharing everything that you know. And Jesus shared everything that he knew in a way that everyone could understand what they needed to know. And, and I think there, that really you could just kind of sum everything that we need to know down to three things that he shared with people. And the first thing was this, that the kingdom of God, that is life where God reigns and rules in our life. He's the center of our life. He's the king of our life. The way that he does that is through a personal relationship, that that is available to all people. And Jesus had a radical message 2,000 years ago, and it's actually still radical today. When you think about most of the strife that we have in the world is built kind of around religion, he had a radical message, and that was, it doesn't matter what rules you follow. In fact, you can't follow enough rules to earn your way into this personal relationship with God where God rules your life. And so uh, being in the kingdom of God and having a personal relationship with God, it's not dependent on any kind of religion. Uh, you could even be irreligious, like you could be like anti-religious and you have uh, an invitation into the kingdom of God. You could be completely non-religious and you have an invitation into the kingdom of God. And this was the first time that that message had ever been preached. So here's God in the flesh who knows everything and he shares what he knows. And the first thing that he wants the world to know is that the kingdom of God, God reigns and God rules in our life through a personal relationship is available to every person. He shares what he knows. He preaches that wherever he goes. And that's why so many people were drawn to his message. That's why currently 2 billion people worldwide are his followers, because it's a radical message. Um, he, he talks about this kingdom of God and, and he shares what he knows about life in the kingdom or how valuable life in the kingdom is. He, he says at one point, he says, um, the kingdom of God is so valuable. It's like a treasure that was hidden in a field. And there's this guy who goes out in this field. I don't know if he was trespassing on somebody else's field or what, but he goes out in this field and he finds this treasure. And um, this field's for sale. So he goes home and he sells everything that he has so that he has enough money to buy that field because he knows that there's treasures in it. That's how valuable the kingdom of God is. He says the kingdom of God is more valuable than like any kind of precious jewelry that you can think of, even, even a pearl, even the largest, most beautiful pearl that you could think of. This is how valuable that life is. And so you could see where, I mean, he could keep going on and on and talking about all the things that he knows about how valuable this kingdom life is, but he kind of boils it down to what you need to know. It's that valuable. It's that valuable. And then, and then he says, this is what kingdom of God looks like in life. It's different. It's a different life. It's a different life. Um, in, in kind of non-kingdom of God life, when we view other people, we view them as an object of our pleasure. Um, we, we kind of make the world center around us. And so other people, they exist like for, for our pleasure. And so we make other people the object of our pleasure, but in the kingdom of God, we exist for the purpose of other people. And, and so instead of making other people the object of our pleasure and our thoughts and maybe in our actions towards them, we can actually love and serve them and we can even do that for our enemies. That, that's a different life in the kingdom of God. Um, he says it's a different life in the kingdom of God to where like religion, um, the, the thoughts of religion might weigh you down and burden you with all kinds of rules and expectations, thou shall and thou shalt not. And, 
And Jesus says, hey, kingdom life, um, really kingdom life is when you come to me and you rest in me and you take on my yoke. And, and my yoke, it's easy. My yoke, it's light. And so you see Jesus, he's just sharing what he knows throughout his ministry. And then you see him share this with his disciples and they share it with other people. One, one guy that he shared it with in kind of a weird way uh, was this guy named Paul. If you're, not new to, if you're new to church, you're not familiar with church, um, there's this guy named Paul who wrote the majority of what we call the New Testament in the Bible. Um, he was a church planner. He started a lot of churches directly and directly in his life. But before he was a church planner, he was a persecutor of the church. He was a church persecutor. He actually ordered the killing of Christians. But he had this radical moment, this experience where he encountered the resurrected Jesus. Um, and so I would imagine that would be same for any of us who are maybe kind of like anti um, a person and then they die and then they come back from the dead. That might change the way we view the person and that, that did for this guy. And then Jesus gave him a very clear message and a very clear mission. And he went about that. Um, and he went about that in pouring his life into other people, multiplying himself through other people. One of those guys is Timothy. And listen to what, what he writes to Timothy. Um, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. If you're taking notes, if you've got your Bible, you've got a Bible app, you could go there. Oh, we've got the words on the screen. This is Paul writing to this young minister named Timothy, and this is what he says. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Hero makers multiply themselves by sharing what they know. And here you have in that one verse, five generations. Jesus shares it with Paul. Paul shares it with Timothy. Timothy is to share it with a few faithful men and those men to other people that they would teach. Five generations of sharing. And if we were to count generation from generation, you're in this room because somebody multiplied themselves by sharing what they know with someone else. Whatever you know about Jesus, whatever you know about faith is a result of somebody sharing what they know. You don't have to share everything. You don't have to know everything, but you need to share everything that you know. That's what hero makers do. They do that in, in, their, in their jobs. They do that in their faith. They multiply themselves by sharing what they know. Um, there's, a, there's a guy that um, in the 2000s I started following. Um, I heard him speak at a conference. His name is Tim Sanders. Tim Sanders was the chief solutions officer for Yahoo. Um, he was the first chief solutions officer for Yahoo. Um, he didn't last very long. And, and, um, and I can imagine it would be difficult to work with Yahoo in the moment of kind of like, you know, the, the web and, and, um, and just the, all the competition that exists. Um, but he was this powerful speaker and he wrote this book. And I got this book and I read this book and it's been one of the most uh, formative books in, in my life. And it's not, it's not about faith and it's not about church leadership. This is for like, you know, a person that owns their business or works in kind of corporate, like um, secular settings. And he, the book's called Love is the Killer App. Love is the Killer App. And, and what he talks about in that book is how successful CEOs and successful like um, directors of organizations, of prominent businesses, profitable growing businesses have this pattern to where they share what they know. They would even share what they know with perceived competitors. And then he says in there that, that sharing what we know is a benchmark of love. 
And, and I don't even know if he has a framework of faith. Like, I don't know where Tim Sanders is in his faith. What I know, though, is that he understands something, and that is that in order for us to step into our preferred future, and he was talking completely corporate, like all kinds of corporate examples, we've got to share what we know. The same is true of our faith. And sometimes those two things intersect. Um, this last week, um, we've received a, a lot of feedback from you about the Dream Napkin exercises and, and some of the ICNU cards. And, and I got an email from a woman in our church who had, um, who had uh, come up, up to the church to get her Hero Maker shirt for Connect Group. And, and uh, she was sharing with me um, some of the things that she made based on the ICNU cards. Um, she had made her own like ICNU kind of stationary, if you will, stickers, all kinds of things that she wanted to share with people. And then she shared with me um, what God revealed to her on her dream napkin. Um, over the, the past year, she, this woman has lost 75 pounds. Um, drastic weight loss. And, and every, time I, every time I see her, actually, like I'm just kind of like drawn to the fact that she's lost that much weight. And she was talking about that in her email to me about how God um, is starting to stir in her heart to, to develop a community of women that are trying to lose weight, but um, approaching it not from like a strategy around a diet, but approaching it spiritually. Because one of the things she shared is that she um, had always struggled with her weight until she understood her identity that was in God. And because of her identity in God, she now had the tools and the core for her to be able to drop 75 pounds. And she wants to be able to do that for other people. You see, she's willing to share what she knows. She doesn't know everything. She just wants to share everything that she knows about weight and about faith put together. Hero makers share what they know. Really quickly, hero makers show what they know. Hero makers show what they know. It's interesting to me that when you go back to Jesus's day, I mean, he's the ultimate hero and hero maker. Jesus never said, come and listen to me. If you can find it, point it out to me. He never says, come and listen to me. He says, come and follow me. Come and follow me. And Jesus knows something that you and I intuitively know, and that is that more is caught than taught. More is caught than taught. Um, I grew up playing with G.I. Joe. Y'all remember the little commercial slogan? Knowing is half the battle, right? Doing is the other half of the battle. I, I remember a commercial in the 80s. I grew up in the say no to drugs era, you know? Um, I think we still say no to drugs. Um, I think, I think that, that's, that's one thing we should do. Um, but I grew up where it was like, you know, that was a presidential focus, you know, and um, everybody was putting full weight behind that. And I remember one commercial where this dad busts his kid using drugs. Do y'all remember this commercial? And the dad confronts the kid and he says, where did you learn this? And he goes, I learned it by watching you, dad, you know. Like more has caught than taught. It's just a principle of life. You know it intuitively. And, and that's why Jesus' whole ministry was built upon, let me show you. Sure, he shared and he talked. And, and when you add teaching with modeling, I mean, the retention rate is unbelievable because more is caught than taught. And Jesus invites those men into a three-year relationship. Um, he spent more time collectively with a small group of people than he did preaching from some platform to thousands of people. 
It's fascinating. And it's fascinating to me how pastors, we kind of get this wrong. We spend so much time focused on platform communication, and yet Jesus, he spent most of his time in ministry with a small group of people. Not that the platform's not important, but notice what Jesus did. He knew that more was caught than taught. Um, spending time, this is actually an interesting phrase, um, in the original language of the New Testament, which is Greek, is um, diatribo. Everybody say diatribo. All right, now, now you know some Greek, you're good. Uh, diatribo is two words that are put together. Dia, which means against, and tribo means rub up. So to spend time with was to rub up against. In other words, Jesus spent the bulk of his time with just a few select individuals, and, and he rubbed off on them. In fact, when you go back to the phrase, come and follow me, it was a, a very interesting invitation. And this is going to get pretty historical. So if you're a student, I apologize that you got some history on the weekend, but it's really, really important to understand. Uh, this phrase, come and follow me, this was actually a trademark kind of patented, like rabbinic saying. So 2000 years ago, they weren't called pastors, they were called rabbis in the Jewish faith. And a rabbinic saying for certain groups of people was come and follow me. And it kind of worked how like um, people that were growing up, they'd go to like Jewish elementary school, then they go to like Jewish junior high, and then they would go to this thing that's like kind of like a quasi like high school joint enrollment thing with a rabbi where they would sit at the rabbi's feet and they would just learn and he would just teach and teach and teach. Well, after some time, after some time that a student felt like they had kind of reached a status of kind of going to that last final step of a rabbi, they would go up to the rabbi and they would say, can I follow you? And the rabbi would go through a certain set of questions and they would go back and forth. And then if the rabbi thought that the student was ready, they would respond with, come and follow me. But what the rabbi wasn't trying to do was find out if that student had enough like head knowledge what they were trying to assess in that whole process was, can this student be just like me? Because a rabbi knows that more is caught than taught. And so the calling, when Jesus says, come and follow me, and if any of you have ever heard in your heart, Jesus, stir those words in you, come and follow me. And maybe you were eight years old and you prayed a prayer and you raised a hand and you walked an aisle and you got baptized, or maybe it's today. When you hear God saying, come and follow me, it's more than just a call to come and learn some knowledge. It's the call to come and be just like Jesus. And what's beautiful about that is that Jesus believes the entire world has the potential in them to be just like him just as he did with those 12. But it was an invitation to come so that he could show us what it means. And if you see Jesus' ministry, he took his disciples everywhere he went for three years. And, and when he prayed for people to receive healing, they were there, he showed them. When, when he taught about how this kingdom of God was available to all people, he was showing them by interacting with people that previously were kind of considered scandalous, they were sinful, not to be associated with. And then ultimately, like, he, he ended up showing that our call is to serve and to love others. He served his disciples by washing in their feet. That was something, washing their feet, something that only slaves would do. He, he, he showed the, the entire world his love by dying on the cross, like taking on the sins of humanity so that we could be connected with God. Like, he showed us. And hero makers, they, 
they show what they do. And, and it's true of faith. It's true kind of like outside the context of faith. I don't know where you are. You're a student. You're a teacher. Maybe you're, uh, you're an employee, an employer. It's the same and, and everything. And it's the fall, and it wouldn't be a Sunday in fall without an obligatory UGA reference, okay? So here it comes. Like, um, I couldn't be happier with our head coach than like Kirby Smart, um, although that was questionable in the fourth quarter yesterday, okay? So, um, um, he, he's just, he's brought something to UGA that I've never seen in my lifetime, 41 years. Um, it, it's been incredible to watch. Um, but it's interesting that when he talks about what he wants and why they've been successful, he references the process. And he learned the process from Alabama. Um, he learned the process from perhaps the greatest coach of all time, Nick Saban. I mean, maybe surpassing Bear Bryant. I know if you're an Alabama fan here, I mean, that could be like heresy, but... Um, Hey, welcome to the vine, right? So <laughs> he learned it from him. And, and, and Kirby's different, at least in like kind of like short-term immediate success in a head coaching job than any of the other disciples from the coaching tree of Nick Saban. Like none of his other disciples have ever, ever had the amount of success that Kirby's had in recruiting an on-field performance in the way that he has in such a short amount of time. And I think what you could say is that the reason is because Kirby spent more time with Nick Saban than any other assistant he's ever had. Nine years he spent with him. He learned from him. More is caught than taught. And he learned what to do when you're walking down the hallway, not to waste a minute, but to get on the phone with a recruit and talk to them about how their weekend went. I mean, more is caught than taught. And faith and your family in life, more is caught than taught. Show what you know as a hero maker. And then finally, send out with authority. And we won't hang out here long. This is, this is where you, you've shared what you know, you've shown what you know, and you've done it enough times to where you can send a person out to do what you've been doing. You multiply yourself through others. Whether you're a, a basketball coach, whether you're a, a tech genius, whether you're a person of faith and a person in a family, here makers send people out to do what they've done. Um, Jesus did this with his disciples. Another patented trademark phrase for rabbis who felt like their disciples had spent enough time with them that they have become enough like them to where they could go out and teach others to do the same was to go and make disciples. And Jesus says that at the end of three years with his disciples, after he died and came back from the dead, he said, go and make disciples of the entire world. It's, it's the, the kind of completion of a hero maker when it comes to multiplying itself. They would send a person out. As a staff, we kind of have a, a model, a mantra of doing this. Um, we, we've got four phrases that we want to um, kind of equip people with so that they can go out and do the same. They're really easy. Hey, if you work in business, if you're a teacher, uh, if you're a coach, uh, if you're a person of faith, write this down. These are, these are real interesting. Four, four things, really easy. I do, you watch. I do, you watch. Second thing, you do, I watch. You do, I watch. The third thing is, someone else does, or you do, someone else watches. You do, someone else watches. And then the fourth thing is, someone else does, you watch. This is what it means to share and show and then send. That person is then equipped to be able to go out. And this is what Jesus did. And throughout his ministry, he would say, hey, 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 watch what I do. 
come and follow me, be just like me. Then he'd say, hey, we're going to do a little experiment. You go out, then come back and we'll evaluate. And then, um, and then you go out and you bring some other people. And then those people, they go out and, and that's how a movement happened. Um, a movement happened this morning. I walked through these doors and um, the production team and the band, they're already here. They get here really early. So you and I can, we, we can have a distraction-free worship environment. Aren't you grateful for them getting here like super early in the morning? That's awesome. And it's done with excellence. And, and then we've got some awesome people that are in the corners of the room and, and they, um, and they um, use these cameras for a number of reasons. One, because we have a pole right in the middle of the room and it could be distracting depending on where I'm standing for people. Um, because we have a, a nursing room for moms so that they can participate in worship service if they're nursing babies. Um, uh, because we have a, a worldwide ministry. We're on every continent. We have viewers, uh, you know, on a low week, maybe 60 to 70 on a high week, about 100 people and um, different continents watching um, what's happening um, through, through our church. And I walk in this morning and I noticed that we had um, two people in this back left station and not to, not to embarrass them in any way, but everybody just look all at once to the back left corner of the room, right? Yeah, so no pressure. Um, yeah, so I walk in um, and that's Taylor who's sitting at the camera and that's Hannah that's standing next to her. But when I walked in the room, Hannah was actually in the chair and Taylor was standing next to her and the band was doing it and they were going through the motions. You see, Hannah signed up a couple of weeks ago to join the production serve team. And what Taylor is doing is she is saying, hey, I'm going to do, you watch, you do, I'll watch. And now that she's back to her doing and her watching, everybody follow that, you do and watching and all that stuff. Um, And it just hit me when I walked in the room. This is a hero maker in, in, in motion, in process, Taylor, who is showing and sharing what she knows, who is then partnering and saying, hey, now you do it and I'll watch. And then probably next week or a week after that, Hannah's going to be up there all by herself. No pressure. Okay. No pressure. It's just going to be broadcast all over the world. Um, Hear a maker, share and show, and then send out to go. And that's what's happened here. Brian, he's sitting back here. He's in the second, second week behind the camera. Same process happened with him. This is what hear makers do. This is what hear makers do. We share, we show, and then we send to go. We equip and we set other people up to be heroes. Had one more conversation, then we'll close. One more conversation this week. Happened over a coffee at Mocha Mo's. Just letting you know I'm available, especially if you're buying, all right? And um, I had a conversation with a woman in our church. She goes to the Flowery Branch campus. Um, she was stirred by the dream napkin exercise and then a conversation with Gus Bishop, um, who oversees um, our small group ministry, our in-reach ministry. And um, last summer, she was really burdened to go back to her hometown, which is in Pennsylvania. Uh, it's a really poor um, town in Pennsylvania. It's not very big. And the kids that grow up in Pennsylvania, that town of Pennsylvania don't have access to the things that like kids in our community grow up and access for. Sports, don't really have access to that. And then her specialty, which is acting, don't have specialty to that or don't have access to that. So she was really burdened to go like do a week long camp for kids in that community. They drove, they had to rent a bus. They drove around, picked up 25 kids every day. And in the morning they would do sports. And then in the afternoon they would do acting. Um, and then they had this show at the end of the week. Um, and what was really cool about that is that um, she was sharing and showing what she knew um, about 
um, acting her husband with faith and then a couple of people that they brought along with them. And, um, but then also sharing and showing what they knew about faith. And those 25 kids that did not go to a church, didn't have access to any of these other things, ended up hearing the gospel presented to them. And eight of those 25 kids from ages eight to 15 gave their lives to Jesus Christ. They had their destiny forever changed because somebody was willing to be a hero maker. And what I loved about this story in the dream napkin is that that person wants to bring that to our community this summer. I said, well, what about Pennsylvania? She said, oh, I want to go to Pennsylvania too. Multiplication thinking, and it can only happen by multiplying yourself through others. And this is available to every single person. Lives can be changed forever for the better if you will take on the identity of a hero maker, not simply a hero of your own story. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son Whosoever believe will not perish, they shall have eternal life. And I shall hold to the cross, I shall hold to God Has salvaged me, for his love has set me free. Sing for God, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, whosoever believes will not pay.
Shall have eternal 